Amen. All right, while they receive the offering, if you brought a Bible, pull it out, grab that out. You're going to want a Bible this morning. If you didn't bring a Bible, um, that's okay. You're going to want one, though. And so there's a Bible underneath the seat you are sitting in. There should be a Bible down there. It's a blue Bible. Make sure you grab that. You're going to want it. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 this morning. Acts 2, um, we're going to pick it up in verse 42. And Acts 2, 42 is on page uh, 1008 in that blue Bible. 1008 in the blue Bible. You can uh, pull that out. You're going to want that. So make sure you have that so we can kind of follow along. Where we'll be, we're going to be walking through this together this morning. We've been in the book of Acts. Um, this is our fourth week in the book of Acts. We're just getting started. We've been preaching about it here on Sunday mornings. We've been diving in in our small groups. If you're not in a small group yet here at Flourishing Grace, I mean, I'll challenge you. It's not too late. You can dive into a small group. You can get plugged in. You can email me. I'll get you plugged in. You can grab one of our Connections volunteers afterwards. They'll get you plugged in. Uh, we're going to be journeying through the book of Acts all summer long. And so far, here's what's happened. Here's what's happened. Um, Jesus, chapter 1, Jesus ascends into heaven. He ascends into heaven. He says to his disciples, he says, you, you are going to be my witnesses in all of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then he ascends into heaven. And then after he ascends into heaven, they, they, they wait in Jerusalem. They're commanded by Jesus to wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, right? Benjamin preached about this a couple weeks ago. At Pentecost, they're, they're in this room together. About 120 of these early followers of Jesus, they're gathered together in a room at Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit shows up, and this, this crazy thing happens. So Pentecost is this Jewish holiday, um, the Feast of Weeks. And so people from all over the world, Jews from all over the world, have gathered in Jerusalem. And this Holy Spirit shows up and kind of blows the doors off the place. And everybody goes outside, and they begin to speak the gospel, speak of, about the mighty works of God in the languages of all the people have gathered. There's like, there's like about a dozen or so languages, and they don't, they don't know them, right? These, these are poor peasants. They're, they're uneducated, but the Holy Spirit gives them the ability to speak in the languages so that everybody hears the gospel. And some people say they're crazy, they're drunk, don't even, don't even listen to them. And Peter's like, we're not drunk, it's morning, come on. Like, what do you take us for, right? And Peter gets up and he, he preaches this unbelievable sermon. He quotes the Old Testament, he quotes Joel, he quotes David, and he says, man, Jesus... Jesus was the one. He was fully God. He was the Messiah, the chosen one. He came to rescue and redeem, to, to point us back to God, to lead us to be the king who reigns and rules forever. And you, you killed him. Like You, like you, you literally crucified him. You, you killed him. You, you killed the Messiah, the chosen one of God. And the people, the Holy Spirit is working. He's softening, softening, softening their hearts. And he's speaking through Peter these words of eloquence that Peter, these are not Peter's words. These are the words of the Spirit profoundly speaking through him. And what happens next, I'm going to read it for us. It'll be up here on the screen. Or you can follow along in your Bible if you want. And verse 37 says this. Jake preached on this last week. He did an amazing job, but we need this in order to understand what's going to happen today. It says this. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then a few verses later, he says, it says this, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So, this, so what happens, um, Peter, Peter proclaims this good news is that they're cut to the heart. 
All of us at some point have been cut to the heart. There's been a moment in your life where, where you've, just, you've felt that weight, that weight of maybe it's shame or guilt, a sorrow, or, or maybe you've seen a picture of unbelievable love and it just cuts you to the heart, right? Maybe it's something that you did. You did something to somebody else that they didn't deserve. You, you spoke harshly in a way or you, you treated them harshly and it cuts you to the heart. Maybe it was a picture or a scene of a, of a love story. Maybe it was in a movie or a TV show. Or, or maybe it was a friend who just, who just loves their child in spite of themselves or loves their spouse in spite of some horrible things. Right? And it cuts you to the heart. It pierces you. We talk a lot about here at Flourishing Grace about the importance of this. You, you must experience this. If, you ex- if you're going to experience the goodness of the gospel, right, the good news, gospel means good news, you're going to experience the good news. You must experience the weight of the bad news. You must feel the full weight of the bad news if you're ever going to experience the good news. This is true in everything in life, right? Every single time there's good news, it comes out of at least, at the very least, a chance of bad news. We talk about this a lot, right? This was the last week of school, right? Your kids are out for the summer. I'm sorry. Um, that's on you now. Uh, but right, the kid comes home and gets, guess what, mom? Straight A's. Straight A's. Right? But there's a chance of straight F's. It comes out of a chance of bad news. Or, or maybe it's even heavier, right? The bigger the bad news, the bigger the good news, right? The doctor calls, there's a cure. There's a cure for your cancer. Now, that's better than straight A's, baby. That's better, right? Why? Because the bad news was so much worse than F's. It's so much worse. And so until we feel the weight of the bad news, we'll never understand the fullness of the good news. This is true within the gospel. If the gospel is the best news ever, and I would argue that it absolutely is, then the the bad news is the worst news ever. Right? And so these people, they're standing there, and Peter says to them, all of our sin, all of our brokenness, from the time of Joel, our forefathers, every ounce of the sin of all of humanity has separated us from God. We can no longer with boldness approach the throne of the King of kings, the God of glory. We can't. We can't draw near. We can't know him. But one has come to rescue and redeem us from that, and you killed him. And they feel the weight of their brokenness. They feel the weight of the distance that exists between them and God. There is a punishment that is deserved, a wrath of God to be poured out upon us. And they feel that weight. But God, but God in in the richness of his mercy has lavished us with love and grace. He took the punishment. He took the penalty. Christ on the cross, God pours his wrath out on himself on the cross so that we would not have to bear it. He bears it himself. And so now he has imputed to us his righteousness. We walk free. We walk in the righteousness of Christ. When God looks upon us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Not because we did anything. Not because we earned it. Not because of um, a checklist that we followed or rules that we obeyed. No, because of a free gift of grace. We walk in the mercy of, of Christ. And then we walk in the righteousness of Christ. We're washed white as wool, pure as snow. He says, what must we do? He says, repent. Repent, turn away from the old, the sin, the brokenness, the anger, the jealousy, the rage. Turn from that and turn towards Christ. Cling to Christ. Treasure Christ. Repent, turn away from the brokenness and turn towards perfection. Christ alone, the hope of glory. Christ alone, our salvation. Cling to Christ and be baptized. 
symbolize this through baptism, this washing, this purification that Christ has done for you. Show the world. My friend Doug's going to be baptized later today. I can't wait. It's amazing. It's an amazing story. I can't wait for you guys to hear his story. And they do. It says 3,000 people, 3,000 souls were added to their number that day. It's amazing. And this morning, what we're going to look at is what happens next. What happens next? What do these 3,000 people do? What is the response? What happens when we turn away, when we realize that we are free from all this baggage, we're free from all the guilt, we're free from all this shame, we're free from the anger, we're free from the jealousy. We can now cling to Christ. We can now draw near to the God of all things. We can know him. We can have a relationship with him. What now? What now? That's what we're going to look at this morning. In Acts 2, we're going to pick it up in verse 42. And here at Flourishing Grace, we believe that this book has authority over all of our lives. It is is the greatest authority of our lives. And so if you would, with me, in reverence of the Word of God, if you'd stand with me as we read this morning, I'm going to read it for us. I'll read this for us. Acts 2, verse 42. And they, right, in that day, about 3,000 souls were added to their number. And they, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. All right. So what happens next? What happens next? Acts 2, 42 It says this, right? It says, and they, what's the word? And they devoted. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. We've all, every single one of us has devoted ourselves to something at a period of time in our lives. Every single one of us in this room, right? This looks different depending on what it might be that you treasure. You see, this is the thing about devotion. Um, They didn't devote themselves to this newfound thing, right? Um, Christ was the ultimate treasure, the ultimate goal, the ultimate prize. That's what they treasured. That's what they clung to. But they devoted themselves to things that would drive them to him. This is what devotion looks like. Um, let me see if I can explain. Maybe it's like, a, like working out, right? The goal is I want to be fit. I want to I be fit. And so I devote myself to maybe, I don't know, going to the gym. That's a good start. Um, I devote myself to some form of diet. I don't know what your diet looks like. Um, maybe it's gluten-free. Uh, maybe it's no carbs. Uh, maybe it's just completely raw diet, right, which I wouldn't recommend. I tried that once. Worst three months of my life, okay? Just don't, just don't do it, right? All raw vegetables, just No. It does things to your body that just shouldn't happen to your body, all right? Um, we devote ourselves to the things that are going to move us here, right? I have a friend, uh, from my friend Shane. Some of you guys know Shane. Um, Shane ha- had a hope. He had a goal. He had a dream. He had a vision. He wanted to break a land speed record uh, at the Bonneville Salt Flats. I don't know if you guys have ever been out there, ever seen that go down. It is the craziest thing. It is the craziest thing. 
But Shane, in order to achieve this, this dream, this treasure that he desired, he devoted himself to a myriad of other things. He devoted himself to studying and learning from guys who had, who had succeeded before and guys who had failed in the past. He devoted himself to, to um, learning more about uh, cars and engines and understanding the aerodynamics. He devoted himself to spending time working on his car and building it from the ground up, and he achieved it. Last fall, he broke a land speed record. It's the craziest thing. But ultimately, the thing that he devoted himself to were the things that would lead him to this. This is how devotion works. This is how, this is how it works, and this is what we're going to see in this text. We devote ourselves to the things that will ultimately lead us closer to the thing we love and treasure most. We devote ourselves to the things that are going to lead us to, spur us on towards, push us towards the thing that we love and treasure most. And for this early church, their thing, the thing that they loved and treasured most in this moment was Christ. Christ is their treasure. Christ is the goal. Christ, Jesus first at all costs. Uh, Christ was the one that they lifted high. And so they began to devote themselves to things that would move them towards Christ. What were those things? It tells us, Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. That's the first thing we see. Now, already here's something interesting, right? What is the apostles' teaching? Well, um, there's two different kind of definitions of apostle, right? There's, there's the kind of the broad, general uh, dictionary definition of apostle. Um, but then there is the kind of this biblical definition of apostle that what's meant by in the Bible, right? Apostle just kind of generally means one who is sent out. One who is sent out. That's pretty simple. Um, but then biblically, um, it's one who is sent out by Christ. Um, there's 13 apostles, 13 apostles, right? So you had your 12 original um, guys that Jesus said, you, I, I pick you, I'll call you out, uh, leave your nets, come follow me, right? You had the, the, the 12 original, but then you, you lose Judas, um, and then in Acts 1, they, they add a guy to fill that space. So you got your 12 original, right? Judas doesn't count, just forget about him, right? Um, he doesn't get any credit. Uh, so you have your 12 original, but then later, Jesus actually shows up again in the book of Acts and calls out another guy by the name of Paul on the road to Damascus. He shows up. He says, I choose you. I'm calling you out. I'm pulling you out. You're coming with me. And so Jesus pulls in Paul. So there's these 13 apostles. And as they die out, as they grow old and die, or, or actually, no, um, they're all, except for one, they're all, they're all killed because of their faith. Um, as they die young um, at the hands of Rome um, and at the hands of the Jews, um, there's no more added. There's no more added. There, there are no more apostles today. There, there are none. And so how do we devote ourselves to the teaching of the apostles if there are none? Well, it's pretty simple. Um, it's, it's all right here. Well, we see again and again and again the teaching of the apostles is the teaching of the word, right? When, when Peter preaches, when Paul preaches, uh, when James writes, it's, it's, it's the Old Testament. They're pulling from these truths and they're proclaiming the gospel and revealing Christ in those to us. This is what the apostles' teaching is. And we have them, right? We have the teachings of James. We have the teachings of John. We have the teachings of Paul and of Peter. They're, they're, they're right here. And so as we treasure who? Come on, guys. Christ. We'll get it by the end. As we treasure Christ, we devote ourselves, out of a treasuring of Christ, we devote ourselves to um, the, the study, the knowing, the teaching of the Word. We have a newfound authority over our lives, over all of our lives. It's no longer what we think or believe or want to be true. It's the Word of God. 
the teaching of the apostles, the teaching of the prophets and the priests and the kings who have written these words inspired by God. Every single word, every single letter, and every single page has been inspired by God. This is the word of God. And so we have a newfound authority in our lives, a newfound desire and hunger to know this word, and a newfound desire and appreciation for those who teach it. So not only do we read it on our own every day, but we sit underneath its teaching by those whom the Holy Spirit has gifted to teach the word. We devote ourselves to the teaching of the word. The second thing we see, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, the fellowship. Now, there's two different types of fellowship that are talked about in this exact text. There's two different types of fellowship. Um, both of them show up in verse 46. Verse 46 says this, And day by day attending temple together. So the first one we see um, is that day by day um, they are participating, they are devoting themselves to the gathering of the saints. Now, these are Jewish Christians, Right? They have no problem. They have no problem distinguishing between their Jewish faith and traditions and lineage and the coming of the Messiah, right? They're Messianic Jews. But when they go to temple, they go to the temple together with their fellow Messianic Jews, their fellow Christians, okay? And so you can just kind of see the picture in your mind um, when, on, when they go out of their home and they're, they're kind of walking through the streets of Jerusalem and they're knocking on their friend's door saying, come on, let's go together. And they're gathering together and they're going together daily to the temple. Or maybe they're waiting at the front door, waiting for their friends. They're come on, let's go. Come on, let's go together. And they got their little circle where they sit in the front and they're praying together. And well, there's about 3,000 of them, so it gets a little crowded, right? But they, they, have a, they have a section where they are together. They're there. They're worshiping Christ. They're sitting underneath the teaching of the word. Um, it's just this beautiful picture of, of fellowship, of a commitment to the gathering of the saints. Now, in our culture, in our day, it looks a little bit different. It, it looks a little bit different. Um, it looks like, um, man, Sunday is on the weekend, and so therefore I don't got to go to work, so I'm sleeping in into the last possible minute. And I'm going to get up, and I'm, but it's frantic because I'm, I'm coming to a gathering, so I got to look good, I got to smell good, so I got to take a shower, I got to iron some nice clothes, I got to, I mean, I got to present myself, there's going to be other people there, and I got to get my kids out of bed, but they're running late, they're like, I don't want to get out of bed, mom, it's like, fine, come on, and you're, and you're throwing clothes on, they're like, but we haven't had breakfast, and you're like shoving granola bars down their face, throwing them in the car, and you're like getting them here, but then this is flourishing grace, so you show up about 10 minutes late, you roll in, right, and there's no parking spots. Because we got a tiny parking lot. It's flourishing grace. Welcome to it. Right? So you're like, oh, i got to park down the mortuary. I can't believe this. And so you're cursing about parking the mortuary, and your spouse is like, don't curse. You know, it's church Sunday. You can't curse on Sunday. Right? So you get in an argument with your spouse, and then you finally get in the front door. You get your kids kid checked in. You're, you're boiling over. You're sweating. Right? you, you got to all your nice clothes, but you're already sweating. And so you, you get in, and you sit down, and the music's already done. Josh is talking about who knows what, who cares. Like, nobody cares. Right? And, and, and here's, here's the problem. Here's what's happened. You've come in unprepared, and your heart is hardened. There's no cutting that's going to happen today. When we sing the gospel together, there's nothing there. When the word of God is proclaimed, when the gospel is spoken, it falls on a hardened heart. What we talk about here at Flourishing Grace, if you're a partner, you know this. It's part of our partnership class. If you're not a partner yet, man, hopefully someday you'll become a partner. One of the expectations of our partners is that they would come prepared to the gathering. 
that they would rise early on Sunday. They, they, was, they, they wouldn't say, man, this is my day off. I'm sleeping in. They would rise early on Sunday. They would spend time in the Word, softening their hearts, asking the Spirit to soften their hearts. They'd get their kids up early, get a good meal in them, sit together as a family and just pray, Spirit, would you bless our time? Would you bless the fellowship and the gathering of the saints? Soften our hearts. Come 20 minutes early. Check the kids in. Grab your cup of coffee. Relax. See some friends. Shake some hands. Give some hugs. Then come sit in this room for 15, 10, 15 minutes. And just pray. Pray for our gathering. Pray for those who are going to gather together. Pray for the seats around you that those, might, that those, people, might be, um, that those people might be moved by the fellowship of the saints, that they might be encouraged by the fellowship of the saints, that, that we might be encouraging to each other as we gather together, that we'd be prepared for this moment, and that our hearts would be softened so that we might be cut with the gospel and be driven closer towards our ultimate goal, our ultimate prize, which is Christ. Yeah, one person's got it so far. We're going to get there, I promise. By the end, by the end. What would it look like? What would it look like if you were prepared for the gathering? If you devoted yourself to the fellowship? What would it look like if your small group did this, right? You said, man, as a small group, we're going to show up 20 minutes early. We're going to check our kids in. And as a group, we're going to gather. We're just going to gather in the auditorium. We're just going to pray together as a group for 15 minutes every Sunday. What would that look like? How would it change you? How would it change your community, your small group? How would it change our church? It would be amazing. It would be amazing if we did that, if we committed to that, if we devoted ourselves to it. The second type of fellowship that's talked about in that same verse, verse 46, they attended the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Now, there's two types of breaking bread that are talked about here. This, this first one is literally eating dinner, like they eat food together. Um, they hang out in each other's homes, and they, they, they spend time together, fellowshipping, having fun, laughing, sitting around the table, and, and talking about man, man, what Christ is doing in their lives, what they're reading in the text, what Christ is doing in their church, and how they're involved in this amazing season where Christ is moving in our midst. That's what they're talking about. Now, now hear me. This is not, this is not uh, the Christian knitting club or the Christian softball league. That is not the picture that's being painted here. This is genuine fellowship, life on life, hanging out together, spurring one another on towards Christ, committing to being together so that, so that they devote themselves to this type of fellowship so that they might collectively be driven towards the greater prize, which is Christ, that they might treasure Christ more. They devote themselves to this type of fellowship, to, to being together. It's, it's attending your friend's Little League baseball game, not because you give a rip about Little League baseball, but because you want his boy to know that there is a community of people who love Christ, treasure Christ above all, and they love his mom and dad, and they love him too. It's that type of fellowship. And there's nothing sweeter, there's nothing sweeter than having a fellowship. There's few things sweeter to one who treasures Christ than having great fellowship with others who treasure Christ and have submitted their lives to him. The next piece, there's two, I said there's a minute ago, there's two types of breaking bread, right? There's this type where they're breaking bread in their homes or literally eating food. And the next one is this, um, back in verse 42. 
And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. That breaking of bread is communion, which we did earlier in our gathering. It is, it is the recutting of our hearts. It's, it's taking us back to Good Friday. It's the moment where we remember, remind ourselves, man, man, there is a weight to this thing. It's not all just freedom and goodness and grace. That grace, that free grace cost us something. And so we recut our hearts. We say, Christ, recut my heart. Drive me closer to you so that I might treasure you more. I devote myself to communion, to the breaking of bread together, um, and to the remembrance of Christ on the cross, his body broken, his blood poured out, so that I might be driven to the one that I treasure most, who is Christ. Now we're getting it. This is awesome. The last thing that they become devoted to in that same text, 242, the breaking of bread and the prayers. They devote themselves to prayer. Right? There's this newfound love, the newfound joy in communicating with the one they treasure most. There's this newfound excitement and delight of knowing and being able to draw near to Christ. Right? This is, you got to remember, this is the Jewish people. For all they've known is a separation from God, this temple structure where they are not allowed to go in. The high priest goes in on their behalf. He's the mediator between God and men. And even God, God has been distant for a long time generations. And now, now there's no more temple. There's no more curtain in the temple. They can draw near on their own to God at any time, anywhere on planet earth through prayer. There's this newfound joy and delight in prayer and a devotion to prayer because ultimately what they want is to be be devoted to the thing that's going to drive them towards the thing they treasure most, which is Christ. My friend J.R. Vassar, J.R. is a preacher in Texas. He preached here uh, last September. Some of you guys know J.R., you got to meet him then. Um, right now, he is, his church is going through a sermon series on prayer. And I've been listening and following along, and it has been cutting me to the heart. It's been convicting me. It's been an amazing, amazing series. Um, I, I challenge you guys, if you want to learn more about prayer, I would go check it out. It's called You Can Pray. Um, and their, their website, Church at the Cross. Churchatthecross.com.org, one of those. Church at the Cross. Um, you can find it there. But in this, here's what he says. J.R. said this. Our prayer life is the greatest measure of our faith. How much we value God and how real he is to us is measured in the amount which we pray. If we do not talk to God regularly, it exposes the fact that we do not believe in him or value him. If you are not growing in prayer, you are not growing as a Christian. Just, just dwell on that last line just for a second. If you are not devoted to prayer, there's no way you're moving closer to the one that we're called to treasure and adore and delight in more than we delight in anything else in the world, Christ. If you're not devoted to prayer, you, you can't be moving closer to this. If we're not growing in prayer, we're not growing closer to Christ. We're not growing as a Christian. It is, it is the greatest measure. It is the thing that reminds us of who Jesus is. And, 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 and it is the greatest measure of our faith and how much is growing, the amount of which and how we pray. They devote themselves to it. And then as a, as a result of this newfound treasure and the devoting of things that are going to drive them to that treasure, they begin to experience other things that happen as a result. We see them. Verse 43, 
Many signs and wonders are being done by the apostles, right? You have this community of people, the Spirit's moving in their midst, and, and God is showing up. Many signs and wonders are being done. People are being healed, and miraculous healings, amazing stuff is happening in their midst. Verse 44, they have all things in common. They have all things in common. Now, this isn't literal. They don't, they don't literally have all things in common. They're not all wearing the same clothes. Right? They don't all have the same hair color and the same eye color. They don't all love the same food. Right? Um, this is not a literal having all things in common. This is, this is, man, they so treasure Christ that there's nothing that separates them anymore. Because tr- Christ is so central and so, so much a part of the middle of all that they believe. Right? There's no longer, well, I have this political view and you have that political view so we can't hang out. No, Christ is at the center. I mean, I have this color skin, you have that color skin, so we can't hang out. No, Christ is far greater than that, right? I, I, I like this thing and you like that thing, so we can't hang out anymore. No, Christ trumps all of those things and they have all things in common. Nothing separates them. Verse 47, they're praising, or verse 45, they're selling the possessions and distributing the proceeds as any I need. As they treasure Christ more, suddenly the things of life have no more, have, have a lesser value. And so they see a need over here. You can't pay the gas bill? I got a garage full of stuff. I'll sell it on KSL. Right? Get rid of that. I'll take care of that for you. You, you can't pay your rent. I, I got a basement full of stuff. I'll sell it. I, I'll sell it, and, and we can we can cover that need. We learn a few chapters later, chapter four, that there's that there is no need among them because they're all caring for each other. They're caring for all. They treasure Christ, and so therefore they treasure the things of this world far less. Verse forty-seven. Praising God. And having favor with all people. Now that's crazy. Think about it. They're praising God and they're having favor with all people. Their neighbors, their boss. Who has favor with their boss? Nobody, right? They're having favor with their, their in-laws. Who has favor with their in-law? I mean, I mean nobody, right? Um, just kidding. I love my in-laws. Uh, as they treasure Christ, the Spirit is producing this fruit in their lives. And as the supernatural fruit of the Spirit is being produced, right? They're having a greater favor with people in their lives. They're having greater favor with their spouse. They're having greater favor with their kids. They're having favor with their boss and coworkers and friends and neighbors as the supernatural fruit is being produced. This Thursday night, we have a class in the Holy Spirit. And this Thursday, all we're talking about is the supernatural fruit and how it's produced in the lives of those who treasure who? Christ. All right, yeah, I'm getting there. Last piece, last piece, verse 47. In the Lord, this one's different. This isn't them. This isn't them. This is Jesus. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And the Lord shows up and does the thing that only he can do. You can't save anybody. You can't can't rescue anybody from eternity. You cannot shift and change eternity in anybody's lives. Oh, only the Lord can do that. But as we treasure Christ more and we devote our, thing, our lives to the things that are going to spur us on towards him, he begins to show up and produce the thing that we cannot produce, but the thing that we long for and hope for, that our friends, our family members, our coworkers, our neighbors would be added to the number, that many sons would be brought to glory as we treasure Christ all the more. Treasuring Christ changes everything. Changes everything. As we treasure Christ and we devote our lives to the things that spur us on towards Him, it changes us. It changes who we are at our core, at the fiber of our being. It changes us. 
both eternally and now in the present. It changes us. It changes our family. It changes our marriages and our kids. It changes our family. It changes our, our neighborhoods. It changes our church. It changes this room. It changes the way that we see each other, the way that we love each other, the way that we care about each other, the way that we invest in each other. It changes the world around us, our neighborhoods, our places of work. As the saints treasure Christ more than they treasure anything, as they elevate him, as they see him more clearly with more beauty and more power and more awe and more majesty and more might, as we put Jesus first at all costs, it changes everything. So let us be a people who don't leave this room saying, I've got to do this, 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 this. I need to pray more. I need to be more passionate about communion. I need to hang out more with Christians. No, stop. Treasure Christ. Allow a treasury, a deep treasury of Christ to drive you towards those things and then just sit back and watch him work. It is an amazing thing. It is an amazing thing to see Christ move in the lives of those who treasure him. Let me pray for us. Jesus, this morning we come before you. We lift up your name, your glory, your fame, your renown. And I pray the Holy Spirit right now you'd work in the lives of the men and women in this room. Softening hearts. Cutting hearts with the gospel. That they might see you more clearly. That they might treasure you more fully. Cling to you more tightly. Believe in you more deeply. Be devoted to the things that are going to drive them towards you. And that we might continually step back and watch as you move mightily in our midst. I pray these things in your name. In the name of Jesus. Amen.